Hi, and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight, we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Warwick Doolan from the Gerildry Working Dog Auction. Warwick will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night, and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus, high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo mate. Hey Warwick, how are you going? Good, Laura, how are you mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. Get in a sneaky last sip there, mate, before the interview. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How's your day, mate? Super day, yeah. Most of the day talking on the phone about dogs. Nothing nothing will like better. Oh, cool. So we'll probably do that for another hour if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. That's every day of my life at the moment, mate. <laughs> you want to tell us a bit about yourself, mate? Um Sure. Currently, I am the coordinator of the Jewelry Working Dog Auction. It takes up about 25 hours of my day, um, which is great because I love it. Um, uh, mixed farmer, sheep dog enthusiast. Um, love talking to people about dogs um, of all genres, really. Trialing, working, pets, everything. Love it. So how do you become involved with the Gerildry auction, obviously being a coordinator uh, uh, and all? The auction was actually just a bit of a discussion in the pub at Gerildry about how we'd keep our local show running because um, we were struggling for numbers and struggling for events. And um, one of our good local Gerildry girls came up with the idea of having a dog trial and um, we just evolved that into something that would produce some money rather than... Um, Costing us some, so um, we hatched the idea of a of a dog and it's taken off. Our show has long since disbanded, but um, dog strong. So um, yeah, here we are, sixteen years later. There you go. Anyone that says that nothing good happens at a pub, and it's all women, of course. Yeah, all well, well, <laughs> there, there you go. And, uh, good things happen at pubs. It definitely happened before midnight. <laughs> but and you're doing um you're a former um contract um dipper and crashing trailer and whatnot as well uh just sheep dipping yeah it's been about yep. uh 13 or so years doing that um it was great got to travel around um made a lot of good people um see a lot of good dogs see a lot of bad ones too but um yeah just um it's um really easy work talking about dogs all day every day so yeah, um, good um, good way to meet a lot of people and stay relevant in the industry. Really, um, in terms of um, coordinating the dog auction, it was just um, very good. You're always talking to people that need to buy a dog. You're always talking to people that need to sell one. And like you said, there you'd see many different kinds as well, and not only kinds of dogs, but kinds of people. So you'd be able to match up dogs and people. 100%, yeah, that's um, something I pride myself on, um, getting the getting the right dog in the right hands so that everyone has a good time. Um, it's nothing I hate more than hearing about dogs tied up on chains or stuck in cages because the owner and the dog are just not compatible. Um, a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of understanding, sometimes it's a communication issue every now and then. It's a... Uh, it's a straight out personality issue where the dog and the owner are never going to get along. But um, most times 
a lot of those things can be fixed. And in the event when they can't be fixed, um, that's that's where we come in and we, we find a new owner for the dog and hopefully everyone can go and be where they're happy with each other. So where'd your passion for working dogs come from? Um, been involved with dogs since I can remember, like as a kid. Um, yeah, my dad always had dogs, had a heap of dogs, spent some time on the road driving or doing yard work about the place or just anything to do with livestock. Um, he was in it and he always had a heap of stack of dogs, sometimes probably way too many, but that's probably a disease most of us have. Um, so yeah, just um, haven't known any different really. Ever thought about doing anything different, mate? Yeah, I've actually just spent the last 12 months out of the livestock job, um, just for a bit of a change and um, ready to come back and refresh. So um, spent 12 months pretty much um, driving machinery and reminding myself how much I don't like that. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, looking forward to um, looking forward to getting back into sort of a bit more livestock work. Plenty of time to think about dogs when you're driving machines, mate. 100%, yeah. Um, that's all I can think about. Well, awesome. Anyone inspire you when you're starting out? Um, probably never had. Um, probably never had any exceptionally good dogs. Um, as a young fella, like all of us, um, so um, got into the shape industry, sort of around drilled area. Got to know Ken and Mary McCrab really well. Um, yeah, sort of um, had a lot to had a lot to do with their dogs and a lot to do with the way Mary trained them. Started um, through Mary going to a few Greg Prince schools. Um, I think I'd like to probably say that Greg Prince's method would be the biggest influencer on how I've learnt to be a, a reasonable dog handler as opposed to the pretty ordinary one I was before. Um, and um, just live by the motto that everybody that owns a dog has something to teach you. So um, stop, listen, have a look. Um, there's always something you can get out of it. Just watching people at dog trials, um, watching some poor trucky load shape at the sale yards. Um, whether it's something good to learn or something bad to learn, you've got something to learn from everybody. You know, just, even if it's learning how not to do something, it's still a valuable lesson. Do you remember your first dog, mate? Um, remember my first significant dog, um, yeah. probably would have had a few before, but, um, probably my first significant dog that, um, people got to know and, and, you know, was a celebrity in his own little lunchbox, I guess, um, <laughs> this dog called Max and, um, he's probably far from a good dog in what I would sort of, you know, if I had to, um, if I had to rate him today, it's probably far from being one of my best dogs, but um, as a young fella, he was a dog that could just do everything and we probably learned a lot together. Um, yeah, he used to eat my lunch and do all sorts of horrible things to me. <laughs> um, yeah, we, uh, we had a lot of good times too. What was Max, mate? Kelpie? No, yeah, no Max was a Kelpie. Um, yeah, he was a Kelpie and um, it's pretty forceful, pushy, yard type but um we used to um we used to muster we used to um work cows with load trucks um yeah sort of uh, max was before my sheep dipping days i think from memory but um 
yeah, he was just a dog that um, I forced to do everything because um, I didn't know any better. Like I didn't yeah. know, he, I didn't know he wasn't a good paddock dog, so I sort of just made him into one, you know. Um, and um, yeah, it taught me a lot. If the dog's got the right temperament, um, yeah, there's not much you can't get done. Is there a style or type of dog you prefer? It's probably changed a bit since I've um, sold the dipping business. Um, yeah, used to run a used to run a pretty strong type of dog um, that probably some would say lacked a bit of cover, but didn't lack any come forward and and shift shape because that was our requirement. Um, now I'm not doing that, and I'm thinking about possibly going into the trialling game a little bit. I've um, come to appreciate dogs with a bit more cover and a bit more patience. So I guess I'm like everyone. Um, horses for courses. Um, yeah, just recently my dogs have probably changed as significantly as they ever have. Why is that, mate? Tell us a bit, actually, tell us a bit about your current team, if you can. Um, team's a bit light on at the moment. Um, did um, sell quite a few dogs um, when I sold my dipping business. So um, didn't see the need for the forcing sort of hard dogs. Had a team of probably eight or ten that I could pick from with um, dogs that would work for anybody. So two sheep dips, um, boys would turn up in the morning and um, pick out five dogs. Uh, the other team could take five dogs, um, any which boy that decided to take a dog, could take whatever he liked. They'd swap them up, change them. They all had their favourites. Um, but, yeah, so needed needed hard dogs that would work for anybody, uh, not the not the sort of highly strung types that would sort of sulk on a handler and um, needed them to be probably good enough that they were respected by the owners of the sheep and dumb enough they'd keep doing their hard work um, Anybody that's probably seen a sheep dip in action knows it's it's not the easiest work on a dog. And um, yeah, some of my some of my smartest dogs that I came across over the years um, didn't stay with me for long because um, they just worked out too quick that it's not much fun and it's probably better <laughs> things to be doing. Yeah, so um, so yeah, they were they were the type of dogs we used for quite a while. Um, smart enough to get the job done, uh, dumb enough to keep coming back. A bit like myself. Um, so just kept, um, kept some young dogs out of the team pretty much that were, um, coming through that I may not necessarily have, have kept as, as dipping dogs if I was in that industry. Um, so probably kept some smarter, more stylish covery dogs. Um, not quite as much come forward, but a little bit cleaner, a bit less yeah. bite. How do you use your dogs in your day-to-day -day life now? Um, so we do have a little sheep stud at home. We run about a thousand sheep. Um, in the last 12 months, um, my team of young dogs have only worked at home. I haven't done any contracting work at all. Um, so it's been good for us all. Um, dogs haven't been under any pressure. I haven't had to over, over front any young dogs as it was always a risk when we were flat out dipping that we'd take a young dog out. He had some ability and before we knew it, we'd worked him too hard and blown him up. And yeah. um, So I've got a young team that's been able to just uh, like probably 
be very much part-timers, I guess, and um, been able to sneak them through. No one's had any big demands put on them work-wise and uh, like to think that we've probably got the training a little bit better and um, haven't, sh haven't shown them to too many people, um, just um, ready to break them out on the trial ground maybe in the next 12 months. <laughs> See how we go. And mate, just touching on your dipping there, like you said, you're dipping business for 13 years and like now you're in the machines, like, do you miss that tempo? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Yep, um, yeah, do miss the sheep work. Um, just a little change of um, occupation there for a year, um, which um, was just a matter of getting out of, getting out of one industry, which was the dipping industry specifically, I guess, and um, still needing to, providing income to pay for the farm at home. So um, using, you know, as it turns out for 12 months, using using the farm machines that we had on hand, didn't have to shell out any money. So um, yeah. yeah, been contracting pretty much for, for a year and yeah, that's been all good. But um, yeah, can only stay away from sheep for so long. <laughs> what type of country are you on at home? Uh, we're on the irrigation scheme uh, between Finley, Geraldry and Blighty. So we're yeah. irrigation farmers if we, if we get a water irrigation. Um, we'd like to be rice growers. Um, hasn't happened much for the last 10 years, hence um, the focus on my contracting business. Um, we're looking good down here at the moment. So um, we've got a little bit of crop in and um, in the year coming forward, we will grow quite a bit of sheep feed, trade some lambs, um, we run a few cattle, not many. Um, yes, yeah, so I just um, sort of take advantage of the water as it's it, as it's available, and then um, yeah, if that if that changes, well, um, we'll probably head back out somewhere and do a bit more sheep work. Do you breed many of your own dogs, mate? Only out of necessity. Um, yeah. Did struggle in the in the days when we needed quite a few dogs um yep. there's always a struggle sort of buying eight hundred thousand dollar pups and waiting 12 months for them to go through find out that they're not suitable for the industry we're in so um like i say it's a, it's a pretty unique dog that was a was a dipping dog um so they need to be classy enough to look after the sheep but be dumb enough to come back and um Obviously, most breeders focus on one or two things, so either, either smart or bushy. Um, yeah. We were looking for something a little bit in the middle, so breeding our own became a bit of a necessity just because of supply issues. Um, yeah, and um, was lucky enough to have some very good breeders, um, you know, that that looked after us, knowing that they probably didn't have 100% what we're looking for, but they had one piece that we're able to use to sort of breed our own pups and yeah, had a good time doing that. Um, I'd love to just go out and buy one of their easy to pluck off a tree and sort of there they are ready to go. Um, none of the first eight weeks, which is the most critical part of a puppy's life, you know, sort of um, making sure you get the feeding and the, the housing and socialising and all that sort of stuff right. Um, do love being able to just get one that's been looked after by a good breeder. Um, but yeah, so we did spend the time, you know, over a few years breeding quite a few. We had pretty high demand and fairly high turnover of dogs. Um, so yeah, just um, easing back into it now. Not sure if we're going to go down the 
creating our own puppy line or possibly just going back to selecting off breeders that we've we've liked over the years. If you did go back into breeding, what what, what would you like in your line? What would you like? What would you like to see out of your dogs? Predominantly, all of my dogs. Um, I don't think I would have a dog in my team, or probably over the last ten years, that doesn't have a reasonable amount of Avonpart in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, really like the Avonpart dogs over the years for their natural ability to read shape. Um, they've they're sort of independent enough that. They're very independent. Some of them are quite arrogant, but um, they're very independent workers and they've been selected that way to work in country where they don't need commands all day. Um, I think, as I've said in the lead-up, I'm not much of a dog trialer, so um, I've tended to leave my dogs to do their job and I've done mine, you know, and the the, the less we've had to say to each other, the more I've enjoyed them. Um, <laughs> so that's probably why I've leaned to those Avonpart dogs. They they're very independent and they can they can be left alone and they can be responsible with shape. Um, so yeah, we've mixed those with um, just some some other lines from different blokes we've liked. Um, had a few off Scotty Amon um, with the Merlin line. Uh, yep. Really liked those. Had a good time with them. Um, Mixed with that, um, we've we've had some really good dogs from that line. So there's awful awful lot of blokes out there that I've tried to pup with, um, giving a service fee to, taking a pup off. Um, you know, just I couldn't I couldn't name the amount of blokes I've um, I've swapped dogs with or bought one off or swapped one you know traded one or whatever. I've, yeah. I've tried heaps, but I've tended to just stick to those ones that um, show natural stock sense and are focused on their job. I, I just um, haven't till now probably appreciated um, some of the more biddable lines that are possibly easier to try, um, that are a bit more responsive to sort of, um, they've got a bit more giving, a bit more bend, and they're happy to take a bit more instruction. That's hasn't been a focus in my dogs in the last 20 years. I've just, as I said, um, I like to, I like to know I can be up the front if I'm drafting sheep or if I'm dipping sheep. I can be up the front concentrating on what I need to do and know that I've got a dog I can trust down the back to that knows what he needs to do. And then, you know, we just catch up a few times every 10 minutes and have a yarn or whatever. I put him in the right place or he puts me in my place or whatever it is, you know. And um, yeah. that, that's traditionally what I would have said, that my focus would be on choosing a dog or, or my my criteria for keeping a dog, um, like I say, that that may change in the last 12 months. I've probably appreciated some other breeds a bit more, but um, yeah, just um, that's still still a work in progress. So, when looking for outside sires, um, are you only looking at work traits or common blood to what is already in your line and what you're breeding to? Um, my attitude towards breeding is that um, I don't go on breeding so much. I go on breeding, like, I choose dogs that work similar to my own lines. Um, and then I generally find that by the time you go back three or four generations, you'll find that the breeding is pretty similar. Just just through, if you can pick, if you can pick the work style 
that you don't have to go back very far and you'll find out that there's a pretty common background in their genetics. So I would prefer to look at a dog, say, I like him. I don't care how he's bred. Um, I'll, I'll look at him a bit more, go, I really like him. I want to use him. How's he bred? I don't think it's, it's never usually a coincidence that the breeding is pretty similar anyway. It's just, yeah. um, just a matter of, um, I suppose, experience and maybe, maybe a bit of a gift, but being able to, being able to read the work style of a dog and then sort of picking its lineage, I guess, to a degree. Um, and then, yeah, I think, um, I'm not a line breeder. I don't have, I don't have 20 bitches or 30 bitches. Um, and I don't have the ability to run a couple of different sort of uh, styles of dog and, and breed them back to each other. We, we're not that serious about breeding. Um, I just, um, yeah, sort of probably prefer to leave that to the experts if I could just, mm -hmm. um, Convince them to give me the pup that I want out of each litter. <laughs> Question here from Chris Egan. Where have you found the best stamina in dogs for big days? Has it been a certain line or more an individual dog? Um, yeah, probably a little bit of both. Um, again, um, I'm not... Um, this is not a paid advertisement for the Avon Park Kelpster, but um, <laughs> yeah. I've um, I've always had great success with the stamina in, in the Avon Park dogs. Um, some of Jamie Barclay's dogs have got the best stamina I've ever seen. Um, and um, again, probably um, anyone that knows their genetics can look back and see that there's a fair bit of Avon Park and Jamie's dogs as well. Um, did probably find just on work style, um, in the early days, the really, the really strong-eyed dogs could blow themselves up just staring at sheep through a fence, um, yeah. and get be very, very useless in a commercial value. Um, you know, blown up in the first five minutes, no second wind. Um, so worked out pretty early in the pace that that strong-eyed dogs were for me. Um, also, don't want a real loose dog; they tend to sort of have shape bouncing and don't really sort of have a settling effect on their shape. Um, so found that there was definitely a degree of eye required. Uh, it was just a matter of how much. Um, and so, yeah, a bit of both. Um, same, it's definitely a, a definite work style that I decided a lot, which is a dog with a little bit of eye but not tied up with it. And they seem to be able to relax enough but still – Put some presence on their sheep, let them know they're there, but have the ability to switch off and take the pressure off when they don't, when they don't need it there 100% of the time. And sheep get to settle, dog gets to settle. Um, instead of being bound up, sort of, you know, spinning amongst themselves the whole time, the sheep get a minute to settle, see where where the mob is, is heading to ultimately, even if it's dipping sheep and... There's 20 sheep leaving the yards at a time. If you don't overpressure them, I always found that eventually the mob would work out that they're getting out through that gate and they'd make you flow a lot better. So I suppose that's a long answer sort of um, question. Yeah. yeah, so there's definitely breeders that have a similar opinion on on the level of eye required that's similar to me. And that's probably why I've chosen to go the way I have with my lawns. 
Mate, how, when you're working the dip there, like how, how many dogs would you work in a day and how often would you be switching them out? Um, in the early days, we would take possibly 10 dogs um, and blow them all up. Um, <laughs> worked out that that's a, that's a lot of bickies and um, so far I haven't been able to get Copperice to give me an ambassadorship. So, um, <laughs> so I thought um, something, something hasn't changed there. Um, yeah, something needed to change. So it was a matter of um, going from choosing those real, you know, intense, sticky-eyed dogs that would blow themselves up and getting rid of those real loose-eyed dogs that would just run around barking all day because the effect the effect versus the, the you know, that their, I guess their, their level of um, the effort they had to put in versus yep. their achievement was, was just too you know, too inefficient. So we got rid of the real tied up dogs and we got rid of the, the loose eyed dogs and sort of went down the middle and probably ended up in a situation where we take five or six dogs to work. But if we're having a good day, I might only work two dogs um, because if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, yep. So while the dogs are still happy to be working and the sheep are still happy to be flowing, um, ch- charging over your dogs only creates a risk that the next one might upset them. Um, and then I'd find I was having to work harder and, um, yeah, there's just, um, no need for that. Cool. Did you want to grab that one? A uh, question here from Rick Freeman. What are your commands and how, um, consistent on them are you? Do you have any commands you've stopped using or started using? And then there's another question after that. Yeah. Okay. So my commands are probably pretty backwards compared to everybody's. Um, so my go back is to the left and my go around is to the right. Um, knew nothing about commands till um, I was talking um, with an old fella, fellow bro that said, um, you don't need commands, son. Um, I've won a Victorian championship with go back and no, not that go back, go the other go back. He said, but that definitely will help. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I went home, started working on a go back and a go round. Um, my first dog that that I was training um, called Jess. She was a border collie. Um, when I said go back, when I gave the command for the dog to go around, she was pretty she was pretty one sided, so she would go clockwise. So that just became a go back. When I said go back, that was the side she would go. She'd go that side hundred percent of the time. So that's how I formed my go back. Um, she formed the go. Look, that that happened for two or three years before I knew what go round was. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, had to had to get a, an opposite side, of course. So that, uh, go round it was, and that was just the other way. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of good handlers have said to me, it doesn't really matter what you say, what sides what, as long as they know the difference. Um, don't use heaps of commands um, because prefer natural dogs that I, I don't have to talk too much. Um, probably really, yeah, I'm inconsistent on my sides because um, I've always worked with blokes, had blokes working for me, worked for other fellas, whatever, uh, swap dogs, shared dogs, borrowed dogs, you know, gave away dogs, all sorts of things. So um, I could send a dog away, away with pretty established commands and when he come back, he was given... He was given all sorts of things, you know, and worked it out for himself. So, um, 
yeah, signs have been pretty inconsistent. Um, only my very select couple of dogs that I work exclusively and don't share have got sides that don't falter. Um, the rest of them are pretty unreliable. Um, yeah, don't. I don't see anything that you can say to a dog or can't say to a dog as long as it's in the right tone and you've kept it pretty clear and crisp. Um, generally, the go back and the go round is the most confusing thing you can do for a dog. Um, all those, they've already, they've already, they've left on the go, um, and it's go either side. So, yeah, we as people probably need to break it down into what a dog can understand in a lot of ways. Um, keep it short, keep it very easy to understand, and possibly make it easier for ourselves. Mate, um, we appreciate um, that you've actually had to travel in your car tonight there to get a bit of reception. You've yeah. got an interior light there, mate. You've got a head that's too good for radio. So oh. it's just going to be dark there. How's that? Move that on. <laughs> Look like, you know, tell them one of those scary movies. <laughs> that's as good as it's going to get. That's all right. That's cool. Yeah. Well, a mozzie will bite me if I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not very big. Um, yeah. um, Mary McCrabb has asked, how important do you think body language is in dog training? Uh, exceptionally important. Um, I've seen and, and probably actually broken dogs in uh, to probably what I'd say 90% trained which is as good as I've ever trained a dog um, I've seen the best handlers um, steer dogs around a, a you know any any desired direction obstacle that that they've wanted the dog to go to without saying a single word to them and being a hundred percent body language um, I know that's worked I've done it myself um, I think if we can leave the emotions out of the dog working, um, in their early days, it's, it's better for the dog also. Um, so yeah, 100%. Um, a dog in close quarters can be can be steered anywhere with body language. Um, the only reason we need to put a command on it is if I'm at the draft and the dog's down the back and I can't see him and he can't see me, um, body language obviously becomes useless. Relevant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly in the early days, it's a lot less confusing for the dog, um, as I guess, as I touched on a little bit there before. Um, most dogs get confused by our inconsistency to give the same command for the same for the same desired outcome every time. Um, so if you can do it on body language, um, one of the best I've ever seen do it, Jake Nowlands, um, can bring a dog in, kick him out, send him left, send him right, make him bark, all without saying a word. Um, pretty gifted individual. Um, don't see many as good as him, but even the most basic bloke can steer a dog around. Just move the head, move the hands, move the move the torso. Yeah, so yeah, very important. I'd say, Mary. Cool. I got a question here from uh, Deb Shippard. How do we stop a headstrong nine-month-old from following Utes, then taking off running along the road, and then won't stop or come back? Break it down into um, break it down into um, into steps, um, as your Greg Prince, you know, method would say. And um, if you break it down far enough, 
um, the dog has no business being out where it can run loose if it's not under control. Um, so ask yourself the question first and foremost, what's he doing out there? Why is he chasing the vehicle? And why am I letting him do this? Um, so obviously if he's, if he's not ready to, to, you know, uh, yield to a, to a command, then he needs to be brought back to an environment until he's taught to do so. Um, and then there's really, you know, Greg's method, if you if you concentrate on the first two or three method, uh, on the first two or three steps, um, lots of us get impatient and ignore a fair few of the others. But the first two or three steps really set the dog up for the making or the breaking of him. So if he's out there and he's chasing stock or he's chasing a, a car or a truck or, or whatever he needs to be brought back to an environment where you can control him and teach him that that's not good for him and it's not good for you. Well answered, mate. Uh, another question here from Ben Griffiths. Any suggestions for handling a younger pup, six months, who is keen as a bean but looks back a lot? He was laser focused early on, so he was working on a good call off from stock, but wondering if he's overdone it. Um, yeah. Um, in my opinion, he's probably overdone it, but that doesn't mean it's not reversible. Um, just needs to get back to the point where the puppy finds his shape, you know, interesting again. So again, bring it back to basics and round yard, shake a few sheep, um, let his instinct come back out and let him go back around his shape and, you know, forget a, forget a few of those commands. That's, um, yeah, we see it quite often. I, I've seen an awful lot of it going to farms over the years where, the farmer has one of two different styles. Um, I think Dan was talking about the first one a minute ago where the dog doesn't listen. And um, sorry, I've forgotten his name, but in this question um, has the other one. He's, he's been commanded too much too early and he doesn't know that he can take the sheep and, and be in charge. He just, um, you know, his confidence is out and um, yeah, no, he's, no, he's bringing back, making it fun for him again. He's only six months old, he's still a baby. Um, get him going around his shape and then get him learning that there's a balance between the two. You know, the shape, the shape belong to me as the handler, they're mine, but they're, they're the puppies to play with if he doesn't my way. You're right. We've got another one here from Rick Freeman. I think we touched on it a bit earlier, but um, Rick's asked, in a team of dogs, are you looking for different skills from different dogs or do you want each of them to be versatile? Yeah, I've always um, been blessed, I guess, with enough numbers to be fussy in that um, don't like to carry any dogs. So um, I like a dog that can do any job. So if I've got one on the ute, any situation we come across, I just want that dog. He doesn't have to be brilliant at everything. Um, I generally like them to be really good at one thing, um, but I want him to be able to handle any job that I ask him to do. Um, and if that means it comes with a little bit of help from me, then that's fine. Um, that's, um, that's what I've got them for. They're there to help me and sometimes I'm there to help them, but yeah. So no, looking, yeah, looking for all rounders ultimately. Cool. Sorry, mate. It's writing a bit of a note here. <laughs> 
Um, we had another question here. Yeah, John Pillows asked, any particular dog you've relied on the most? Um, all of them. All of them, yeah. Um, like I say, if I, if I don't feel like I can rely on him, um, then he's just not the right dog for me. So I just, like I say, I'll, it's probably a luxury having enough numbers, but I... I just want to know if I've got a dog with me that I can rely on him. So I want to know that if I come across any situation that me and that dog can handle it by ourselves. Um, and if he's not, if he's not that dog, um, then, you know, he's, he's just uh, long-term, he's just not for me. Jono's said great answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate, you've obviously seen a lot of dogs, um, you know, throughout the auction. We'll touch on, on the auction in a moment, but just, you know, working on different properties and, you know, with different people and breeders. Mate, do you believe there are many genuine all-round type of dogs? See a lot of good all-round dogs. Um, don't see many brilliant all-round dogs. Like I say, most dogs uh, have got a strong point. Um, so for me... A, a good all-round dog for me is one that's probably a yard, a yard dog um, that can handle paddock work. Um, we're out here in the flat. Um, there's not a there's not a hill within 200 kilometres of us, so I I don't. Although I appreciate dogs that have a big wide blind cast um, and can work unsupervised, you know, through the hills and timber and whatever. No, I love to watch them, but I don't necessarily have a need for them. So I think our requirements or our what constitutes an all-round dog is probably a little bit different depending on where we are and what we do. So, yeah, yeah I see a lot of good all-round dogs, but I wouldn't say that you come across many dogs that I would say that dog is brilliant at everything he does. Um, it's probably 10% 10 of the dogs we see at tops. Hopefully see a few of those on uh, Saturday, mate. Just so happens we do have about uh, 58 of them on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic answer. Um, you just wouldn't believe it, yeah. That's your 10% there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, no, look, um, would love to say that everyone that claims to have an all-rounder is, um, is an exceptional dog at every facet. Um and we do, we we all do get guilty of um, of obviously falling in love with our dogs and, and accepting their bad traits and and covering up for them. But I think that's what makes dogs so good, and we have we can do that, and they'll accept letting us do that. So we all tend to find if we have a dog that's a little bit weak in one point, um, if we can step in and give them a hand, then um, what's to say they're not as good at that as as the next one? You know, it's um, that works. That works in everyday work, all day, every day. Most farmers do that. Um, it's really only the, we tend to see the, I guess, the very brilliant dogs in dog trials where we stand at a point and we rely on the dog to do 100% of the work, whether that be a three sheep trial or a cattle trial or a, or a yard trial or utility trial. That, you know, that, that is the ultimate test, I guess. 
Cool. We'll touch on trialling in a minute, mate, before we get into the auction, but we've got a couple more here. Uh, Rick Freeman's asked, what is the longest time you've waited for a dog to become useful or do you not have time to wait? Um, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty flexible on the time frame so long as I enjoy the dog. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not one to make a, a time frame and say he's six months old and he's not doing this, so he's got to go. Um, yeah, um, I've very much changed my focus on starting dogs from, you know, 20 years ago, they all had to be working at four or five months of age or I'd be impatient. Um, and then I'd find from four or five months of age to 12 to 18 months of age, they're quite a pain in the ass. Um, you have to take them to work, um, and give them their seven or eight minutes of work, which is quite realistically all they can handle without becoming physically stressed. Um, so the, sometimes the later they start for me, the, the better it is. It's just one less job I've got to do. It's one less dog I've got to cart around. And um, I like to just tick them on through. And usually I find these days that at about 12 months of age, I will probably take a dog from just knowing a basic balance on sheep and and a stop and a, and a come off, um, which is still fairly negotiable for me at 12 months of age. Um, I like him to have more desire to go to work than myself. So um, if it's a little <laughs> bit hard to get off, I, I don't mind. Um, I, I have found over the years that that changes pretty, pretty rapidly as soon as you give them plenty of sheep to look at. The novelty of working sheep is pretty you know becomes it becomes a lot easier to train that dog once he's got to run around a couple of thousand for a few days in a row and his feet are sore and you know it's it's just you know you don't have to struggle you don't have to create that environment where the dog hears his name and knows you can ignore it um so i tend not to overdo the 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 stop and the come until they've they've decided for themselves that it's in their best interest to to do that you know we haven't created any bad habits and I don't, so long as I'm in an environment where I can catch them if I need to, um, I just let them be pups and let them do what they like doing. And yeah, when they, they go to work, that's, um, then it's, then it's pretty serious, you know. Do you like those ones that start barking early in the morning, mate, to let you know it's time to get up, get up then as well? Uh, yeah, most of, um, most of mine are like that, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is okay because my wife's an early riser, so, um, yeah, she gets up and entertains them for an hour or two while I snooze. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, wish I wish that was the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, same again. If I've got a, I'm a little bit, I'm probably a little bit chilled now compared to years ago when I would have went. You, you must be quiet. Um, now I look at the reasons why that pup is barking, and it's probably mostly because I got home at nine o'clock the night before, didn't let it have a run. Um, it's still tied up. It's it's wondering why it's tied up. It's it's excited. It wants to see someone. It wants a pat. None of that. None of that got to happen the day before. So it's early the next morning. It's it's fresh. It's clean. It, it wants to have a play, and we're all having a sleep in. You know, so you can't really blame the pup for being excited. Amanda Dunbar's asked, what's the best way you've found to build confidence in a dog who's been stomped on a couple of times and isn't comfortable right up close with sheep in a race, but still super keen up until that point? Um, 
Again, I think um, genetics, work style, um, yeah, obviously uh, it's confidence up until that point. Um, if it's if it's been stomped on once and it's reacted that way, it's probably a fair indication that it's a pretty sensitive type of pup and that you're going to have to watch it for quite some time. So it's not something you can fix immediately. That's probably a 12-month issue. Um, if it's been stomped on half a dozen times because it's a bit lapsedaisy, it's just excited and you know, its owner didn't get home until 9 o'clock the night before to let it out and so we took it out the next day and it's just a bit fresh and it's been kicked around a few times. But that's probably a lot easier to fix because it just needs to get taken back to a controlled environment where it's fun again, um, introduce it back to the sheep, introduce it to some sheep that, that aren't going to be as aggressive on it, um, let it know it's fun again, maybe do that for a couple of times, tie it on the fence, let it watch a few other pups work and get itself back thinking, I'm missing out here, this sucks. Um, really depends on the nature and, and the temperament of your, of your pup to a lot of degrees. But that's obviously the first thing to try is let it get back to doing some fun work um, sounds like that situation, and we're all guilty of doing it, um, especially if the pup has some mobility. That situation was probably just a little bit too advanced for that dog, so we found that we've got it in a position where it's been a little bit hurt, a little bit overexposed, so it's not the dog's fault, it's, it's our fault as the handler. We shouldn't have put it there, but we've got to try and work out how to fix that. So we go back to some less aggressive sheep or some trainer sheep or some smaller lambs or something that's not going to be as confronting for the pup let him have some fun have a good time um if that's not working yeah clip him on the fence let him work a few mates um you know watch a few mates work or you know watch the older dog work and get himself excited you know just, it, nine times out of ten within 30 seconds that pup will be chunking on the chain barking its head off wanting to get back into it and you might find in 10 minutes you've you've solved the issue but if it is the first time it's happened and the pup has reacted that way, it's probably one of those situations where you do need to be very careful reintroducing him back to his stock and making sure that that the situation that you put him in next is not going to break his yeah. confidence anymore because you might find that you break his heart. and you know Potentially, it's in a lot of ways irreversible for that pup just because he is a bit sensitive. So it comes down to a dog-by-dog -dog situation, I guess. Just keep it simple, right? Build, build up its desire again and then build up its confidence. Build his confidence, then build his desire, and then, yeah, like, um, let him get excited. A uh, question here from Mark England. Um, any tips for a non-farmer or industry person who wants to get their Kelpie into trialling and how to go about getting training experience? Um, yeah, it's a really hard one from what... Um, the guys and girls that I know that um, I guess as, um, as they're colloquially known weekend warriors, um, gaining access to shape is the hardest thing that they find to do. Um, they have the dog, they have the excitement, they have the, they have the drive and they have the ambition and they just don't have any shape. It's a little bit tough. Um, yeah. So it's uh, just a matter of um, in your, in your area, finding a farmer or a fellow, trainer or enthusiast or, or someone and um, joining some of these dog groups and just asking the question, hey, has anyone got some shape I can use? Um, without shape, you, 
you're really um, going to struggle to obviously advance too far in the trialling world and there's only so much dry training you can do. So, yeah, I think um, if that's your ambition, I think you just um, have to be exactly that, be ambitious and um, find someone with some shape and keep asking until someone says you can use it. Perry Chapels asked, what are some of your favourite dogs getting around currently and what traits make them stand out to you? There's a really good dog I knew called Fat Boy, but unfortunately, it's a no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I knew that was um, good. <laughs> yeah. um, um, you're going to have to um, read the question out again. Sorry, I got lost on Fat Boy. <laughs> have you got a favourite dog getting around at the moment and what makes him special to you? Um, Not necessarily one you own, something you've seen. Um, favourite dog I own, Lot 30, Jewelry Dog Auction, Moon. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, we sad to see him go. That's a plug for me. Um, favourite trial dog, Jeff McDougall at Hay. He's got a couple of dogs I really like. Um, really liked them. Jeez, um, most of my favourite dogs in the last 12 months have been um, dogs that I've really seen on video or, um, you know, fellow enthusiasts sending me videos of or I've been to the odd trial and seen some good dogs. Um, Shane Mauer, I've got a really nice dog called Stuart. Yeah. Um, there's probably three or four dogs out at Mary McCrabs really like um, as work dogs. Um, appreciate what they are and, and I've seen them in action, so appreciate what they can what they can achieve. Um, there's an awful lot of dogs. I appreciate lots and lots of them. I don't tend to pick too many favourites, I suppose. Mate, and um, we know you've got your association there with the Finley Utility um, and the, I think it was the, the Danny um, Yard Trial. And you mentioned that you want to, you know, touch and get back into a bit of trialling. Do you believe that trials still simulate real work situations? Uh, yes, but different. Um, I think some of the potentially best dogs you will ever see are on the trial grounds because yeah. they're dogs with the temperament to be able to be commanded um so there's an awful lot of good work dogs out there that are very much what i've liked over the years and they're they're individuals i mean that's what a kelpie is um they're very independent and they know their job um i think the very best dogs that we ever get to see are those dogs that are independent individuals know their job uh, but are willing to to do what the handler asks you know close quarter situation um trialing definitely demonstrates a lot of that it demonstrates a lot more than the average farmer probably picks up on um so yeah just that ability to read read the lead um you know stop in the racks not blow it move when they need to cover shape up close put enough force on to to move a mob take the pressure off when it's all boiling up there's an awful lot to be to be learnt from trialling um, and probably in a lot of ways, um, yeah, as much to learn from the, what the handle is doing as what the dog's doing because um, some, there's some, some dogs out there that handlers make look very good and there's some, there's some handlers out there that make dogs look very good. So, um, <laughs> yeah. it's, um, you know, it's I've got one, I've got one of those, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
lot. I uh, can't remember his lot. <laughs> oh, no, not that one. With no one at home, and it makes me look like I know what I'm doing. I just open <laughs> gates for him. <laughs> well, that's that's very good. Yeah. No, nah, I wasn't having a go at your dog there, mate. I've just been, um, my wife's put a um, requirement on me that I've got to get 57 mentions for the Drillery Dog Auction on. Before finish, so <laughs> you're you're only going to get into that. I'm getting desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favourite trial or one you'd like to participate in? Um, always love the hay trial. Um, they're they're tough shape. It's a it's a pretty big course. Um, yeah, it's it's not too far from home. Do like that one. Um, favourite one, Denelic one. Um, it's probably potentially the toughest course I've seen. Um, yeah, um, utility-wise, haven't uh, seen too many, but, um, yeah, um, we've got a great little course at Finley that um, we've had for a year or two now. So haven't been to heaps and heaps of trials. Um, Gundagai, haven't been for a couple of years, but um, really like it there. It's um, and obviously um, set up, so you see some... Cattle trialing, see some three sheep trialing, and see some yard trialing all in one weekend. That's, you know, they've they've set it up really well. Oh, that's a good good setup down there, mate. And uh, I suppose what we got here, yeah, mate. Let's get on to onto the weekend. What uh, what can we expect down there on Saturday? Uh yeah, lots of good dogs. Um, yeah, lots of um, lots of spectators. Um, hopefully, lots of money. Um, and, um, yeah, that'll be, um, that'll be the three main things, I guess. Um, then, and again, depending on what you're, depending on what you're looking to achieve from the weekend, um, we have a lot of people turn up, um, no intentions of buying a dog, selling a dog or, um, or otherwise just, uh, use it as a, use it as an opportunity to catch up with like-minded people that are interested in dogs. Um, you know, want to have a look, want to just catch up, want to, want to talk dogs, want to value dogs, um, you know, it's just want to network. So, um, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's a pretty good fun weekend. What? Any yeah. dogs you should be keeping an eye on? 45. <laughs> uh, aside from lot 45, um, again, depends on, um, there's a dog there for everybody. Absolutely yeah. everybody. Um, and, um, you know what I think constitutes a good dog is um, is different to what Dan's going to constitute a good dog. Different to what Absolutely. you thinks a good dog. Um, so um, yeah, um, one thing I've learned over the years is um, you know what what makes up a good dog is um, I'm far from qualified to comment on um, because different people have different requirements and different expectations. So yeah, but there is probably. I say it every year, but um, I'm never, I'm never hamming it up. Um, this year's our best lineup of dogs ever. Um, last year was our best lineup of dogs. Previous and the year before was our best lineup of dogs. Every year, the the quality of the dogs and the quality of our vendors gets better and better. Why do you think that is? Um, a lot of reasons. Um, first and foremost, I guess um, the promotion of the dogs and the good dogs um, has been a pretty slow burn due to the, you know, there's, um, there's still today 
um, I get a phone call at least once a day from a farmer that says the best dog I ever got, my neighbour gave me or I picked him up from the pound or, or whatever. So in previous years, good dogs have been easy to obtain, I guess. Um, these days, there's less good stockmen out there breeding good dogs. So the number of us compared to 30 or 40 or 50 years ago is just simply a lot smaller proportion. So um, the dogs aren't as easy to find. Um, so people look to things like dog auctions and there's dog auctions popping up everywhere now all over the country. Yeah. And so it's an easy option for people to go and look at, in our instance, 58 dogs all on offer. Um, one place, one day, um, all different budgets catered for. Um, yeah, so, uh, over 16 years, auctions, you know, like ours, uh, Cassidy's been going for even longer. Potentially think Wagga might be even longer again. Um, yeah, the, the, the organisers have focused on promoting good dogs and honest, genuine vendors um, and increase the confidence of the buyers to, to believe what they see is a genuine product. Um, whereas there's been in the past... Certainly in the early days of auctions, um, in the early days of our auctions, um, you know, to a degree we were a dumping ground for everybody's dogs that they didn't like. Um, yeah. I don't know that the dogs have necessarily changed that much. Um, people as handlers have definitely improved. And our ability to match the right dog with the right buyer has improved. So we've gone from, you know, me being a little bit, blindsided going, geez, I don't really like that dog. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not sure who I could, who I could quote him to, to uh, probably being known well enough, I guess, and, um, and learning well enough to go, well, I know what that type of dog suits. He suits that work. And sooner or later, I know my phone's going to ring and that person is, is going to call me and say, I'm looking for a dog to do this. And I can say, he's there, he's lot number whatever there he is and there's another one he's lock number whatever um because quite often you know the dogs that top our sale are not not the dogs that suit quite a lot of people that that call yeah. me up so it quite literally is there's a dog out there for everybody it's just a matter of you know finding each other what advice do you give to anyone that's interested in a dog in the auction or you know to any potential purchasers Ah, yeah, do your research. Um, call me, call the vendor. Um, call Dan, lot 45. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, um, and ask as many questions as you can. If, you, if, if you're working home and you know that um, you're inclined to pick up the brick in the corner of the yards and hurl it over the dog's head, well, ask Dan the question, what's going to happen if I buy your dog, Dan, and, and I hurl a brick at him? And, and listen to Dan's answer. If Dan says the dog's probably going to, you know, run for the hills, well, take note, you and that dog aren't going to get along, you know, it's um, like, I'm, I'm obviously making a, a very blunt, but I have Yes, we can, yeah, go for a brick to your dogs. Um, you know, but ask all the questions you can, if, if, you, if you're loud and raucous in the yards, um, choose a dog, choose a dog that's willing to accept you being loud and raucous, if, you, if you're quiet and, and you, you don't feel confident to put a lot of pressure on a on a pushy dog, uh, well, ask that question. Is this dog going to listen to me? Um, you know, 
breed, sex, some of the easy ones. Um, does this, you know, if you've got a dog at home that that's sort of a, a bit clingy or one-on-one and you think it's a bit of a fighter, well, ask ask the vendor how the dog gets along with other dogs because, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is buy a dog that, that is also a bit clingy or one-on-one or, you know, it's, get the opinion of the person that has spent the last 12 months or two years or three years or four years with that dog and ask as many questions as you can because it will break the communication barrier, which in a lot of cases could last for a month or six weeks. Um, yeah. some, in some cases, a dog will go straight to work for its new owner and, and never look back. But like, do everything you can do to make sure that your first in, interaction with the dog and then and then your stock that you choose to work is as successful as you can make it. It's, it's just, yeah, do your research. Do on the other foot, any advice for vendors? Um, yeah, just describe your dog as he is um, because as responsible, you know, dog owners, um, none of us want to see our dog end up in a situation where we know he's not going to be happy. Um, so describe him as he is and, you know, uh, if he's if ex don't tell everyone his why if you think he's going to make more money for that because it'll come back to bite you. Um, in our in our auction, we never scrutinise dogs. Like I say, there's a, there's a dog for everybody out there. Um, we only scrutinise vendors. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's just I, I pick vendors based on their ability to describe the dog as he is um, so that when somebody calls me up and says, I want to buy a dog that's just like that, I can say, there he is. That's as close a match as I can come up with for you. Um, generally ends up in a lot better result for everybody. Um, I'm a dog lover. I don't like to hear about dogs that um, that haven't got on well in their new home. And um, yeah, us as auction can, you know, coordinators, we we do everything we can. That that does happen. It's like everything. It's like girlfriends, wives. You know, we all have arguments. So you can have an argument with your dog um, if it's reconcilable then it's up to us then and and then back on the vendor in some certain states to take responsibility for that and say well the dog's not happy where he is or ultimately the buyer's not happy so therefore we know the dog's not going to be happy so yeah. we do whatever we can do to fix that and after 16 years mate what what keeps you wanting to do it every next like every year what pushes you to go next year learning how to do it better um and my wife she's really pushy um yeah learning how to do well, it might have to stay comfortable in that car tonight mate <laughs> yeah uh, she's watching me through the windscreen now um, <laughs> it's not, it's not comfortable at all um yeah so um yeah just uh just learning how to do it better and and you know, just the feedback from people, feedback from vendors saying oh, that had a received a phone call from the buyer to say that they're really happy with it, so they get a sense of satisfaction knowing they've done a good job. Feedback from buyers saying, "Geez, wow, um, you told me to buy this dog. It's really great." Um, um, probably more importantly than all of that um, is um, it's obviously a, an event that we raise funds for charity of the Apex Club of Jewelry's chosen choice each year and um, seeing what we can do with that money and seeing the benefits it brings to town for the weekend. Um, you know, so I guess um, 
a lot of my motivations making people happy, but it's also making dogs happy. Mate, and obviously you're speaking to, you know, taking calls everywhere. Mate, how, how, how far and wide are people coming from this year? Um, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Australia. So some, some, there's people looking, there's people looking for all different types of dogs, so I suppose is where we're going with that. There's not just pe people looking for a yard dog or, you know, there's a whole heap of variety. And, you know, uh, yeah, lots variety. of variety. Obviously, in our early days, we we carved ourselves, I guess, on the on the calendar by offering what we would now loosely say yard and truck dogs. Um, yep. That was the, I guess, that was our level of uh, expertise in a dog. That's what we knew. Um, that's what we we're comfortable with, and that was the that was the that was the environment we could we could build over a day or two to demonstrate them. Um, we. You know, Andrew Rutherford and myself um, were comfortable in that in that sort of, you know, vendor group, I guess, that we could encourage people to enter a dog in, in the auction over the first few years. And we loosely became known as the, you know, drill is the place you go to buy yourself a yard dog. Um, so I guess in the last 10 years, we've probably honed that, that um tattoo in i guess and um we're now known as a place you can go and buy any dog and that's probably got a lot to do with you know improvements in videos and social media and you know even just word of mouth and adding things like vendors phone numbers to the to the description of the dog so that a buyer can ring up and say hey i know he's going to be a yard dog because he's going to be a drillery but can he work in the paddock just all simple yeah. sort of stuff but yeah, so these days, yeah, they, they call for cattle dogs, paddock dogs, um, three sheep trialling border collies, you know, still still get the odd bloke ring up looking for a yard dog. Um, that's predominantly still what we get. But, um, yeah, so it, it's everything's changed. It's evolved, I guess. Breaking down a lot of those preconceived opinions or ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, fantastic. Was there anything else you wanted to get through about the weekend, mate, or messages or...? Something else. No, um, no, pretty happy with the auction. Um, did you count, Dan? Did I get fifty-seven goes in? I think you're about fifty-four, man. So you got a couple of go. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, no, so I think. Um, no, look, um, the auction. Um, obviously, um, yeah, come along if you can't be there. Bid on auctions plus. Um, got a couple of really good dog couriers this year that'll be on site. Um, Again, just, just evolving, just learning how to do it better. Why, why leave your dog parked up at my place for a week while we sort out a courier? Um, this year we've got a couple of couriers um, sitting there. Potentially you might be looking at your dog um, at the back of Charleville, you know, 48 hours after our auction. So um, we'll see how that goes this year. Like, um, yeah. yeah, obviously. Um, Great idea. Yeah, love any feedback from from vendors, buyers, um, just somebody that watched it on Auctions Plus. Um, don't care where the ideas come from. Um, yeah, like um, really open to um, improving improving the auction in any way we can. Um, yeah, so um, probably back in our more probably um, personal sort of questions. Um, would like to would like to think that um, you know moving forward, social media has become a big part of our lives, all of our lives. Um, do see quite a bit of argument i guess on online 
based over dogs that um, does leave me bewildered at times. I think a lot of times it's got very little to do with the dog and a lot to do with um, people feeling butthurt, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, just um, social media is probably a pretty, you know, any form of text, writing, whatever, it's pretty blunt form of putting things down if you don't think about it too well and people perceive it the wrong way. Um, love to see um, all sorts of comment on dogs. Um, just love it, live for it. Obviously, you can probably pick that up. Um, yeah, it'd be great to see us focus on dogs and um, leaving each other alone a little bit and, you know, taking the good out of everybody's different type of dog, um, seeing, the, seeing the benefits that or just seeing the style that, that one particular person uses and even though it might be 180 degrees in difference the, the direction you're heading with your own dogs, seeing rather than telling that bloke his dogs are shit, you know, it's working out working out what it is you can take out of that and harnessing it for yourself because if you're open to learning, yeah, in the early days I found out in a pretty short period that if you're open to learning you can improve your dogs an awful lot pretty quickly without a lot of effort other than just listening to advice, good or bad. Very well said, mate. Amanda Dunbar's asked, is there a peaked interest in the upcoming auction following the Master Dog series, or is it still the same clientele as previous years? Um, it's probably not something I've really asked. Um, although I was talking to my foster dad, um, Joe Spice the other day and um, <laughs> in particular he has um, he has seen a remarkable increase in obviously the um, you know the desire for one of his pups following Mustard Dogs so um, I think um, you know dad can only breed so many so um, obviously I think um, that will push on and, and provide benefits for, for everybody else you know because uh, Master Dogs has, um, has done quite a bit of good in our industry, I think. Um, and, you know, nationwide, it's let people see the value of a good dog and the value of good breeding and um, the value of a good trainer is the, probably the one take-home message that I got from it. Um, you know, very few of those dogs would have been worth a quarter of what they're worth without the involvement of the, you know, Neil and Helen McDonald. They, they just, you know obviously gave expert advice where it was needed as it's portrayed on the show at least i obviously don't know any of those people personally but um without a good trainer um or without a good mentor um you know you can derail yourself pretty quickly so again find something you can trust doesn't matter doesn't matter if it's dan doesn't matter if it's me you know um find something you can trust and and bounce ideas off them i think that's what the show showed um so now auction wise uh, we're a little bit different um yeah we're probably just looking for or vendors are looking for something um a little bit more immediate um so they want to basically skip steps one to ten and um end up with the finished product as best as their budget allows um we'd all like to skip one to ten um these days that costs you quite a bit of money for the privilege so um, you know, we also have dogs where somebody can step in at step number three or step number four, um, yeah. regardless of whether the, the buyer knows what steps one to ten are. Um, that's loosely how I describe what they're getting in a particular dog when they're asking, um, 
you know, mostly based on a budget, you know. So if they've got three to four grand to spend, I'll say you'll, you'll buy something, you know, balanced up on sheep. Hopefully it'll come off four times out of five. Um, and, you know, you, you'll see his work traits. You'll know, you'll know if his style is what, you, is what you're after and you've got quite a bit of work to do. Um, if we talk 10,000, then we can go to step five or six. Uh, dog's probably got reasonably good sides. He's, he's coming off quite well. He's probably balancing offside his shape with you and, and starting to drive. And he's probably back in shape. He's, he's probably a dog you can take straight to work. But still, still in that budget, you've, you've got another four steps that you can't afford to pay for. You know? so, and then, then we get up to our, our dogs that have done a full program of training and their ability or probably not so much the dog's ability, just their work style and what's in demand at the time loosely, you know, commands their price. Um, and if you can find two or three blokes in the same area that all want to own that dog, well, the sky's the limit, as it seems. Actually, like the way you broke all that down, mate. Yeah. Was, um, yeah. Was that one you prepared earlier? <laughs> no, mate. <laughs> I can make shit up on cue. <laughs> I'll keep doing it because that was that sounded pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, away from dogs, do you have a talent or hobby most of us wouldn't know about? Um, I used to be a male model, but um, I've yeah, right. Had to give it up due to time constraints. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's obviously not true. <laughs> um, yeah, love. Um, love doing sports with my kids, um, spending as much time as I can with them. So um, they're both mad keen footy players. So um, just, uh, yeah, footy training, um, like to be as involved as I can on a Saturday, um, chase them around, do the running, run water. Um, foolish enough to still try and play the odd game of footy. Um, not very good at it, but um, numbers are numbers out of blighty. Um, yeah, so do that. Um, yeah, basically, if we're not if we're not working and we're not playing with dogs, um, we're we're playing with our kids. Yeah, so if they want to go fishing, we go fishing. If they want to work dogs, we work dogs. If they want to play footy, we play footy. Actually, just before we get off dogs, mate, we've got a question here from John Pello. Uh, I think we're only at fifty six. So, uh, um, what's on the weekend and where is it again? Do you want to working dog auction? Um, Georgia race course, February 26th, and 8.30 demos, 1.30 auction. Find it live on Auctions Plus. Put a bit in, John. <laughs> um, who would you like us to sit down and have a chat with on Dog Talk? Mary McCrab. Yep. Easy. Mary yeah. is actually listening tonight, and uh, she's uh, put a couple of questions in. Actually, Mary um, put in um, something a little bit here. Good luck to everyone on Saturday. All the best. Uh, so we were, have been talking to Mary, so she'll be on soon enough. Mate, right, it's that time of the night. Was there a particular question that stood out to you? Um, and that will win a bag of Enduro Plus? Yeah, I like the one about overexposing the pup. Oh, oh. I can't remember it. Yeah, no, that's... Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's... Amanda Dunbar, if you want to get back to us with your, <coughs> excuse me, with your contact details, uh, we've got a bag of Enduro Plus coming your way. It's, uh, 
Thank you for your time and uh, everyone for tuning in. Um, it's been a great chat with you, Warwick. So thanks again for your time and getting up in the car. Before, yeah, we no, go, before we go, one more question. If you had to choose between fighting 20 horses the size of ducks or one duck the size of a horse, which would you pick and why? Oh, yeah. um, I've been thinking a lot about this and it still cracks <laughs> me up. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure if you guys are just horsing around or not. Um, oh, they're, the only, they're the only duck and horse jokes I could think of. Um, <laughs> Don't duck around the, the track there, mate. Yeah. Um, I'd take the horses because I'm only little too. <laughs> oh, there we go. A, a big duck <laughs> intimidates me. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, once again, thank you very much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. And to all our viewers out there, I um, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, please remember, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Thanks, Laurie. Yeah, well said, mate. That's great. I'll try. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. Cheers, buddy.